My Christmas tree's still up. Are you surprised? No, yeah, yeah. I have to say, this is the longest I've ever kept it up, uh, which, I don't know, I think that's your fault. Uh, you guys got me in the, in the Christmas and Advent spirit, um, but uh, so I was, we're, was chatting with some friends, and Advent and adventure have this same uh, root, right? And so the ad- Advent is the anticipation of uh, a person, where an adventure is more the uh, anticipation of an event that's going to happen, right? And we've all maybe been on adventures of some uh, form or another. It just kind of depends on what you define uh, as an adventure or being adventurous. Um, the actual definition of adventure, I just thought it was funny, was in is unusual and exciting, typically hazardous experience or activity, right? So the daring and exciting activity calling for enterprise and enthusiasm. Those are the elements uh, of a good adventure. And so we've all had some kind of adventure or another, and maybe you can think about trips that you've taken. Um, I always feel like some of the best adventure stories are when something has potentially gone wrong. Um, Those make for really fun. So I I thought it would be a nice way to start out this uh, short series with sharing some of our adventure stories. So um, I was having coffee with Stephanie uh, this last week, and Stephanie mentioned to me that Jeff might have a story for me. And I was thinking, yeah, he went to Africa with Brian. They went all together. And what a great story. But your story is not about Africa. So please give a warm welcome to Jeff Elders, who is about to tell us an adventure story of which I've never heard. I'm both excited and nervous. It was slightly before your time. Okay. Wow. So um, I was asked, not by Gandalf, uh, but by my son, to go on an adventure when he turned 18. Um, and when you're 18, you are now old enough to go skydiving. And so um, my dad and I and my son went up to Fremont. Uh, and um, they gave... Skydiving, Fremont. Yeah, yeah Fremont, right. <laughs> Fremont. So we, uh, we got like maybe 30 minutes or so of safety instructions and... And then, they, and then they dress you up. Um, you probably can't see this, but you can check it later. They get us in a, a flight suit of some sort, uh, strap on um, some gear that connects us to somebody else uh, who then has the parachute. Then we go up in this tiny little airplane with very little room, and uh, they ask you to move around to get hooked up to your guy. And I'm looking for something to hang on to, to get in position. And I'm looking at very thin metal and thinking, I could pull this airplane apart. <laughs> <laughs> so then um, they open up the door. And I didn't realize this, but at 10,000 feet, it's really cold up there. <laughs> and uh, so then we get out on the ledge and we get ready to go. And we're... Uh, Pictures speak a thousand words. There's no audio, so you have to imagine what they're saying. If you want to take us through, if you remember what you're saying at this point, it could be helpful. Yeah, basically, you know, are we ready to go? So let's let's go. Okay. So now we're. You don't look. There's my son. There's okay. He's he gets to go first, and then we're at ten thousand feet. Oh dear. Oh, my land sakes. Yeah, so now we're out on the edge of the plane. We do a barrel roll upside down. And you can see the flame over our shoulder. 
<laughs> yeah, it's 120 miles an hour. So. Wow. And then uh, for about 40 seconds or so, we fall. And then uh, he tells me to pull the chute here pretty soon. Are you feeling good at this point? Or are you still oh, yeah, this is awesome. Terrified? Yeah, I would do this again. Okay. This is great. I'd still be, never mind. <laughs> so there, I pulled the, floy, the chute, and here we go. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst part. Kind of drops there for a second. Oh, yeah. A little hitch in your giddy up there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. So that was my uh, adventure. And you'd go again? Oh, yeah. It was, oh, it was awesome. Okay. The worst part was the, you know, the chute opening. And then as we're drifting down, we go around in circles and that didn't, I don't, I don't do circles real well. The, the giant 120,000. <laughs> no, that was awesome. The, yeah, the free fall, fine. But yeah. the swirling, not so much Not for so you. much fun. No. Jeff Elders, everyone. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I'm good. Wow, I just, so I, okay, so I've known Jeff for a while now, and I just wouldn't have pegged him as a skydiver, um, but there you have it, he is, and if you'd like to check this out, you, I'm just going to put that right here, so you can check that out. Thank you for sharing your story, I think it's fun uh, to share some of our stories. If you have a story that's really great, I want to hear it, uh, because adventure is fun. Adventure is something that can either be spontaneous, or it's something that we meticulously plan, I think people when they go on trips um, that are sort of planning for a big adventure that takes some uh, forethought, some purchasing of airline tickets perhaps. Um, You need the right gear, you're thinking about it, you're getting excited. But either way, an adventure is an adventure and everybody talks about them after the fact as something to be remembered forever, right? Like you think fondly of those different kind of adventures that you've been on. I sort of have come to love the older I've gotten um, which is bizarre. I feel like I'm reading books now that I didn't read when I was a kid, like I missed out on it, because I'm loving these fantasy adventure books. I started off um, after college, I got sucked into the Harry Potter books, and I loved them, and I kind of devoured them, and then my nephews got me connected to Star Wars again, and now I'm just started the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and I'm excited about all these things, because all of them are these epic adventure stories, right, that always have this Um, you know, the main characters are the good guys, and there's some sort of evil to overcome in which somebody has to give their life for the greater good. Sounds familiar, doesn't it, right? Some of them are are Christian allegories on purpose, so one of the the ones I've been sort of loving and revisiting have been uh, The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings once I started to learn more about who J.R. Tolkien was. He was a good friend of C.S. Lewis, who some of you Uh, might uh, know and familiar, especially if you've read Christian writing. He also wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, another epic fantasy adventure story. Um, So people, we like to read these things. We like to um, kind of take us to those places of dreaming about things that um, we could never in a million years think about ourselves doing, right? I just love the idea of what it means to go on an adventure. And I think about, in my mind, all the different adventures that I've been on. And I have a lot of, I feel like most of my most embarrassing stories come from adventures and never being ready or equipped to be on the adventure that I'm currently on, right? And it generally involves hiking somewhere um, up some sort of mountain and or just large hill um, that I perceive as a mountain. Um, But I love 
the sense of adventure and what you kind of need to be prepared with when you have adventure. So in the beginning, you watch this clip um, uh, from The Hobbit, an, an unexpected journey. Maybe have some of you seen that movie? Yes? I, I highly, this is your homework for later today, is to go ahead and, and watch that. But what I love about this particular story is I feel like this character, Bilbo, is so ridiculously relatable to us. That's why I love that clip when he meets Gandalf for the first time and says, I would like you to go on an adventure. And he was like, oh, no, I don't. That's not what we do here. I don't. What did he call it? He called it um, uncomfortable things and that make you late for dinner. Uh, it was like, and, and, and he was sort of like all of us here. No one would be interested in that sort of thing. Um, he likes his life at the Shire. He likes to be surrounded with his stuff. He's got kind of a, a routine and he... Um, he cares about his books and his maps, and he makes dinner, and he does the same sort of things every day, and it's predictable, and it's safe, and it's secure, and it's good. My life is similar to that, right? I, I, there's some amount of predictability that I, too, like. I want to have this sense of adventure and to go and do things, but there's a certain amount of, I like things I can count on. I feel like we can all understand that. So anyway, the dwarfs come along, and uh, they eventually come to his house, right? And they create chaos and havoc in his world that is sort of planned out and perfect and nice, and he likes his life, and they come in and destroy it. And they eat him out of house and home, and there's dirt everywhere, and the scene is one of my favorite scenes uh, in the movie. And, and they kind of say, you need to come on this adventure with us. And, and Gandalf gives them all these reasons why he should go and you should get out of your, your comfort zone basically and go. And he's like, I'm not doing it. So he goes to bed and he wakes up the next morning to a quiet house. And he wakes up and he looks around and nobody is there anymore. And his first initial thought is complete relief. Like, they're gone. I need to go to the grocery store to get more food. Like you sort of see all these things that he's got to you know, do to replace the things that they've taken, but his life is going to be back to normal for like a second. And then all of a sudden, he, you can tell he comes to this realization that he's never been actually living. And it comes, he has this sort of like crisis in that moment of, should I stay or should I go? I want to stay, but I feel like I'm going to miss something if I don't. And so before you know it, the next thing you see is he's packed his bags and he's running through the Shire and somebody's, where are you going so fast? I'm going on an adventure! And I love that moment because that's the moment that he decides to say yes. To say yes to this adventure, to say yes to sort of leaving some of these things that are uncomfortable, right? Gandalf reminds him that the world isn't in your books and your maps, but it's out there for you to experience and so I sometimes feel like the world isn't solely in this book either. There's life in the pages of this book, but this book is rather meant to inform the way in which we live. Because living is action. Living is the adventure that we're called to. And this book is part of our story. Our story is wrapped up in this story. I, it's, it's not simply just the pages of a good book that we get from the library, that, like I can't wait to read it again. But this story is our story, and it tells us where we've been and where we're going. This is an epic adventure. It's like when prequels became cool. This is our prequel, 
right? Like this, the adventure that we're now on, this is what came before what, what's happening in your life right now. It's this. This came before it. And I just think about the way that I read this book has changed. And I remember it was a kid, I think I was in middle school somewhere, and, and we have them in the back now, but they came out with a, more of a kid-focused Bible. And what did they call it? Did you have one? It was the what Bible? The New Adventure Bible. And I love that. And it has, we have them in the back and they have, uh, like it has a map on it. It kind of makes it look like a little Indiana Jones sort of like. And I love that because there are some really epic stories of great adventure in the book that we read. And I, I really want to talk about the Israelites today. The Israelites, we spend, um, we spend a time referring to them and sometimes we give them a bad rap. Right? We're like, oh, those Israelites, they couldn't get it together um, until I realized that I feel like I'm a little bit more like them than I like to admit. But the Israelites stood at the edge of the promised land. But before they stood at the edge of the promised land, they stood at the edge of the Red Sea. Right? Their enemies were coming after them in hot pursuit. They were desperate. There was no way out. So God made a way for them. He saved them. He saved them from their enemies. So if you uh, give me the first slide, if you have Bibles in front of you, we're going to um, be in um, Deuteronomy, or, I mean, excuse me, Exodus chapter 14. You can kind of, if you've got a Bible or a, a device and you want to scroll through, it's kind of fun to see um, where the next couple chapters go. But in Exodus 14, uh, Moses says this to the Israelites, just before, so they've come out of Egypt um, God has rescued them from slavery and is now they're kind of, they're, they're, they're stuck. They're, they've made it to the Red Sea and the Egyptians have decided, um, oh, we made a terrible mistake because now that we let our slaves go because of all those crazy plagues that came, we lost all our servants. How are we going to live this life that we're used to living? And so they changed their mind and they went after them. And Moses says this, he says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need be still. So remember that God has been leading his people this whole time out of slavery and they don't know exactly where to go. Uh, they're kind of leaving in a hurry when after these, the, the, the final straw for Pharaoh was the slaughter of the firstborn right? And that was when the whole land is just struck with, with grief, and he says, get out. And so there's six, at this point, just to give you a picture, there's 600 men represented. So when they only count men in scripture, then you have to think about 600 families, all right, of people that could have multiple children, right, and their livestock. So anytime you're talking about people, we're also taking all the animals with us. So this is the group that is hurrying, if you can hurry at that kind of uh, mass of people, that are hurrying out of Egypt. And so God is leading them with a, with a cloud um, during the day and a pillar of fire by night, always giving them uh, something uh, to, to look for, something to follow, and providing cover, right? He's providing cover and he's providing light. And then in uh, verse 19, the next slide, it says, Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, 
withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near each other all night long. Isn't that cool? The things that were guiding the Israelites both appeared eventually at the same time. The cloud that was normally leading them by day was providing, was not allowing the Egyptians to, to be able to see or to understand where they were. But the Israelites could see in front of them and he provided light. God is just protecting them from before or from in front of them and from behind them. He was protecting them and guiding them at the exact same time. Some of you know the rest of the story. Um, God parts the Red Sea. The Israelites are able to walk through on dry, on dry ground. The Egyptians um, go after them. After the last Israelite has um, made it over to the other side, Moses stretches his arms back out, and the waters come over, and they drown everyone, and none of the Israelites, or none of the uh, Egyptians survive. God provides for his people. He protected them. And then, from then, you're like, okay, cool, they made it. They made this big thing. They are now away from the Israelites. What an epic story and what a great journey. But now they wander the desert for 40 years. Not knowing exactly where they're going, knowing that God has a land for them, that he's promised them, um, and they have to wait. So they're on this sort of adventure, not knowing how long it's going to take or where they're going to go. But they're camping, right? Every place they go, they're making this really tent city. And they're going from place to place. But God provides for their every need, right? We know that he provides um, manna from heaven, bread from heaven, and quail. And he makes sure that they have everything they need during the 40 years that they're out. So now these same people are going to make another crossing. And they're going to make a crossing into the promised land. And this time, it's different. Instead of their enemies being from behind them, chasing them and pursuing them, their enemies are now in front of them. If you're familiar with that story, they're being called to battle. Caleb and Joshua have gone into the promised land with some spies. Did you know there's spy novels in here? There's also that's happening. So that's pretty cool. So he takes a group of spies and sends them into the promised land ahead to go and to scout things out. And it's like, it's true. Everything God promises about this land, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, but the people are giants. They are powerful. Their cities are fortified. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know how we're going to be able to, to, to make this happen. This is, this, is, this is the scary part of the story. Jacob and, or Joshua and Caleb say, we can do it. God is with us. God's promised us. We're going to go and we're going to take this land. But enough people said, I don't think we should. Let's pump the brakes here for a second. We've been doing pretty good like this. What happens now? Because not only had the Israelites been saved from something, they had also been saved for something, right? They were saved from, from slavery and they were saved for the kingdom. His promises, his freedom. Unfortunately, they, they seem to have forgotten a little bit of what they were saved from, and they don't trust God to lead them to what they're saved for. It's been a long time 
But, but those, some of those people were kids when they left Egypt. Some people have died along the way, but there's a, they, they remember. It hasn't been long enough where generations have been lost, 40 years. They remember life in Egypt. They remember God's faithfulness. They remember, and yet they don't trust that in this adventure that God is going to continue to provide. So even though God continues to show up in every situation and make the possible, the impossible possible, they get scared. And I feel like I get that, right? There, there are things that I don't do out, out of fear. <laughs> skydiving, amen, I have never been skydiving and I don't plan to. I'm careful how I say that now because Jeff has a tendency to invite you to things. So when you say, like, I'm never going golfing, you could find yourself on a golf course. Um, but fear, right? We've talked about that before. Fear can stop us uh, from, from doing these things, especially when you're on an adventure. So even though God continues to show up, they're scared. So the next slide is, it takes us all the way to the promised land. So they're in, now we're in Numbers 14 where all the Israelites are starting to grumble against Moses and Aaron, right? And they, the whole assembly says to them, here it is, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by a sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, we could choose a leader to go back to Egypt. They're ready to abandon the whole thing. Full stop, the next adventure is to go back to where we came from because they forgot, right? If you don't trust God to come through on his promises, you're not willing to cross the border into the promised land, right? Regardless of, of the situations and the circumstances and the challenges that might be ahead, your heart will actually desire to go back to slavery. Your heart will submit to the lies that the enemy tells you that you'll say, yep, we can't do it. It's too big. It's too strong. We can't continue to move forward. But there's no neutral ground. You either move forward in trust and full confidence that God will have what's next for you if you say yes to the next adventure or you'll go back to slavery. There's no neutral. If we don't trust God to come through on his promises, he will choose someone else. He will look for the generation that's going to rise up and be strong and courageous. A generation that's willing to lay down their lives for the kingdom. A generation that isn't living for themselves and for their own comfort, but for the promises and purposes of God and his kingdom. A generation that isn't happy to be saved from something, but will fight to take hold of what they're saved for. Living in the promises and the freedom of God and establishing his kingdom. That's what we want to be about. How do we establish his kingdom here? How is this space this building going to be used for his glory that we say yes to the next adventure knowing, I don't know, we're around 100 people. Should we be buying part of a building? I don't know. We're trusting God that the next thing is yes. I'm going to say yes to this adventure that we're on because we believe that God is going to provide for our every need. There are people that are content to be saved from hell and they don't go any further. And you are. You believe in Jesus Christ, you are saved from that. And at some point in their life, maybe they stood on the shore of the Red Sea. They were desperate and they cried out to God for his saving grace. 
And he answered, and he said, yes, my grace is for you. He told them to be still, that he would fight for them, and he did. And he delivered them. And then they stopped there. Because when faced with giants in the promised land, they would rather retreat and go back into the wilderness. They don't trust. They only know the kind of salvation. They don't know that they're saved for something, that there's something beyond that, that, that saving grace, yes and. Yes and. What are you being called for? What are you being saved for? To do something. Matthew 11, on the next slide there, Eric, says this. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Right? Many people have responded to that call. They've come to Jesus and they've found rest and peace, hope and assurance. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't call us to just come and sit and hang out. But he calls us to come and we can find rest. But there's also something that we have to be obedient to. God's call to action, to live our lives, to live big and to live loudly. Right, verse 29, the next verse says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's, that's reassuring, that's comforting. Taking the yoke, though, means living, loving, speaking, acting like Jesus. It means being guided and directed and taught by him. It means forsaking all things. It means denying ourselves. It means saying yes to the things that frighten us. That your adventure means you are going to live wholeheartedly, holding on to things loosely, knowing that God is in control of those things. And that when we say yes and amen, we place in him this, this trust that he will do what he says he will. But there are people, and, and I'm one of those people, that struggle and, and, and probably will continue to because that's sometimes just the part of being human. I want to set my burden down and I want to rest, but then you know what I end up doing? Picking it back up again. And that's what we do. We, we, we set our burdens down, we hang out with Jesus, we get some rest and we pick our burden back up and we keep going. And when the burden gets too heavy again, then I set it back down. And we miss the part of taking his yoke. It's his burden, his heart, being united with him. Their life doesn't change that much. When I behave like this, my life doesn't change this much. They've been saved, but they've only been saved from something. They're camped out in the wilderness, not willing to take the next step to enter the promised land, the sweetness of all God has for them. His desire for all of us is that we abide in him. That we would be his body. That we would answer the call to be strong and courageous. That what he did on the shores of the Red Sea, he will do on the shores of Jordan. But we need to engage our faith. He will show up the same way for you in your life as he does for the people that we read in the Holy Scripture. This book that we love, that we treasure that we, we want to learn and grow from. He, he's the same God that promises all of those things. And there's somehow, we read this book with different eyes. And it's the way that he used to be, the way that he once was, but this is the way that he is. 
Our faith isn't going to grow if we're constantly running from the enemy, if we're living this life of retreat. Our faith grows when we will not let anything stand in our way of taking hold of the promises of God. Right? Our faith grows when we take the yoke of Jesus and we learn from him in all the humility and love that he has for us. Right? Our faith grows when we march into the promised land, when we face our giants, when we truly believe that we have been saved for something. We walk in obedience to accomplish his purposes for our lives. It's the best adventure you're ever going to take because it's guaranteed. It's a guaranteed, wonderful, successful adventure. Because if you're living with Jesus, every day is an adventure. Right? Advent launches us into a life of adventure, expecting that God will enter in to any of those circumstances, in any of those places in our lives that we struggle God, come, Jesus, come to us. Be in this place. I expect it. I'm, I'm living an expectant life that in what situation arises, God, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, will be in that and will come in that and will meet us in those places. Come, Lord Jesus, come. It's a pretty cool adventure. And there's ups and there's downs and there's terrifying parts. I mean, every good adventure story that you read has these like terrifying, they're dangling, they're holding on by one hand kind of moments. And maybe you have those moments in your life or in one now that you feel like I am, I'm holding on by one hand and I'm waiting for someone to just... And we have these exuberant where the music swells and life feels great and we've just either conquered something or we've come home. But our, there's, there's this arrival point. We kind of sometimes... Um, make our lives till we get through something, right? Or we've, we're getting to the next thing and we sometimes talk about entering different seasons of our lives. There's pit stops, right? Along on the next adventure that you say yes to until Christ comes again or calls us home. If we look around and realize that sometimes we're not really living, we can be stuck in our books and our maps and our houses that can be, uh, and things that can be comfortable, and we're just storing up for ourselves treasures that make our lives easy and comfortable, but we've missed the adventure. And so God is looking for people willing to go on an adventure that he's arranging. Will you come along? Let's pray. God, I'm, I'm thankful for the ways that you challenge us, the way that you called us. You've been with your people since the very beginning. You've, you've loved them, you've cared for them, you've guided them and protected them. You will do the same for us. You are the God of yesterday and today and tomorrow. You have our future. God, we thank you that we can put our hope and our trust in you and who you say that we are. So God, as we want to embark on lives that are adventurous, where they're not held back by doubt or fear or comfort or the desires of our heart, but you let, that you will align our heart with your heart, that you call us to say yes, to do things that are daring, to do things that are exciting, to do things that will cost us something, to do things we might have to sacrifice other things for, to know people, to walk alongside people, 
to mentor people, to love people, to show compassion and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. God, some of those things are difficult for us. Some of the the most difficult things in the adventure that we're on can be meeting someone new. So if those are the things that we're afraid of, God, I just pray that you search that out in our heart and give us us whatever courage and strength that that, that you need to give to us each as individuals. Whatever we need, I pray that you give it to us in abundance so that we can be explorers and journeyers together. God, that we can bring your kingdom now to this place, that we can love people well, that we can say yes, because we've been saved from our sins for something greater. And I pray that we never forget the four part. And that you give us glimpses and tastes of what heaven will be like. And I'm thankful that for me, it's Sunday mornings when we gather together in this place. And God, as we leave this place today, I just pray that, um, that you fill us up. You fill us up with your spirit, uh, that you give us uh, courage and empowerment um, to go and to make a difference to say yes to the things that we need to say yes to. God, take us on an adventure of a lifetime. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen.